10, 5, he's into the end zone, touchdown Arkansas State. Deflected into the hands of Feltz, Avery for three, hits, cover is safe, the Red Wolves have walked it off. Welcome to the Second to None Podcast, the A-State Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else. Matt Stoltz and Brad Boba. And we welcome you once again to the Second to None Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Week one of the A-State football season, in the books, Red Wolves, a big winner over Grambling State on Saturday night at Centennial Bank Stadium, 58-3, to the final score in that one. Really couldn't ask much more from this football team in week one, especially with all the newcomers that came in. Numbers came out. This past week, Jerry Scott put it in his game notes. 79% of the roster is made up of underclassmen, making them the fourth youngest team in the entire country. So you knew there were going to be a few mistakes, but at the same time, I don't think you could have asked for much more in week yeah, one. I do think Mark Taylor put that in his game notes. And That's uh, right. Those are Mark Taylor's <laughs> game notes. <laughs> Thank you for correcting me on that. Yeah, so I mean, you, I mean, you didn't know what to – Honestly, what to expect and what you got was, you know, real efficiency early on, both yeah. sides of the football, really all three phases. Pretty solid. I mean, I think it, it got a little clunky probably for everybody in in the third quarter and maybe the second half. But, I mean, at a time when the outcome was in question, you know, this team was pretty locked in. A-State out gains Grambling State for the day, 572-102. to The 102 yards allowed are the fewest yards allowed by an A-State team since 2009. And really, the Red Wolves got off to a great start in this one. Nine-play drive right out of the gate, and it ended with a touchdown pass. 29 yards out, James Blackman to Champ Flemings. Four-man front for Grambling State. On second and long, going deep left side, caught Camp Flemings, 10-5. He's into the end zone. A 29-yard touchdown pass. James Blackman to Camp Flemings. And A-State scores on their opening drive. And look, we've heard all about Champ Flemings, and you and I have talked about him a lot on this podcast. He was the fastest player in the entire transfer portal. <laughs> And look, we got a sneak peek of just how good he can be. Seven catches for 122 yards and that touchdown. If people wonder, what are you talking about? The coach told this story at his coach's show a Wednesday night that there is a recruiting service that you can subscribe to and pay for that that charts all these things about guys in the transfer portal. And, and surprise, surprise, Alabama pays for and subscribes to it. So when Champ Fleming's, Signs at Arkansas State. Some of his buddies in Alabama called him and said, hey, you just signed the fastest guy in the transfer portal. That's pretty cool. And, <laughs> you know, they kept it going with the next drive. They got it back quickly and a 13-yard touchdown pass, this time to Seydu Traore. Waleed and Fleming split out to the right. Jeff Foreman is the receiver on the left. Seydu Traore. The H-back on the left. He goes in motion. Blackman looking for Seydu. It's caught. Back corner of the end zone, touchdown Arkansas State, and the Red Wolves take a two-score lead with 6-19 remaining in the opening quarter. And Seydoux one of those guys that we started to see more of last year. In fact, he was in on one of our podcasts. Just a fascinating young man, but he is a big-time talent, and that was his first career touchdown catch. And 
they just kept it going all night long. The offense was solid. The defense, I thought, was fantastic. We mentioned just giving up the 102 yards. But 14 tackles for a loss, four sacks on the night. Thurman Gethers, one of those names we called a lot. He had three tackles for a loss and a sack. And look, we talk about all the young guys playing. Keyron Crawford, who's a true freshman, mm-hmm. who was one of those guys they were really excited about getting on signing day. And you remember, they didn't know if they were going to get him. He was a signing day decision. He got to play in the second half, and he was all over the place. He had five tackles, three tackles for a loss. He had a sack. Remember, yeah, he was the one that – he was kind of the last one in because he was doing the hat dance between Arkansas State and Iowa. You know, just your uh, – it comes down to those two for a lot of kids. And uh, he signs with A-State. And this is a young man, I think, really sort of – if you talk with the coaches, maybe it sort of clicked between the first and second scrimmages because – Coming out of the second scrimmage, I had, I had a chance to talk with Coach Jones, and Keyron Crawford was one of the guys he's talking about. I said, man, this kid's really starting to get it. and So it's uh, cool to see that turn up on the field. A-State did not turn the football over on the night. They did have the game's only takeaway. It came in the second half on an interception by Eddie Smith. Julian Calvez on third and 17. Flushed out, rolls left. Calvez going deep downfield, and this ball is picked up. Eddie Smith. Eddie Smith, the former Alabama product, able to make his first career pick as a Red Wolf at A-State, able to get their first turnover of the night with 3.50 remaining in the third. And Eddie Smith, an Alabama transfer, and he's one of those names that we heard so much about in the offseason. And... You know, he and Jordan Carmooch, the Houston transfer at linebacker, we got to see them in action for the first time the other night. And you look at some of the newcomers on offense, one guy that we were excited to see, Brian Sneed, the former Ohio State running back that later went to Austin P. He rotated really well with Johnny Lang, their roommates, by yep. the way. And Sneed ended up 12 carries, 57 yards. He had a touchdown. Essentially, you could tell me that you know, A-State you know, basically featured two new running backs because as far as the running back position is concerned, Johnny Lang looked like a different human than he was a year ago at running back. Now, we, he, he impacted a lot of games in the return game, but as, as a running back, I mean, he's made humongous strides from a year ago. Yeah, and look, I mean, we've seen Johnny Lang front and center just the last few weeks. He was up on the main stage at the preseason banquet. He was our first guest on the radio show this past Wednesday, and these coaches talk about how hard he's worked, but he had a career-high 124 rushing yards the other night. He also had a touchdown, but he did something no running back did all of last season, and that's rush for 100 <laughs> yards in a single game. So he's already knocked that out. You know, got a chance to see a lot of those running backs, you know, that we've heard about. Uh, really, all five of them, I guess, at some point got in on the action Saturday night. Your you man, Iron Mike, Iron got Mike in the Sharp, the second, got in there, too, so... Yeah, good to see that depth you know, come up as advertised and uh, excited about the run game, which then you know, in turn you got to credit the offensive line for the job they did there. The offensive line was fantastic. This is a more talented and a much, much bigger offensive line than what we saw a season ago. And you can tell that is the most improved position group on the field. Just a night and day difference from what we saw last year. And another really cool thing that we saw was James Blackman 
running the football. He is a sixth-year senior, started a ton of games at Florida State. In his career, before Saturday night, he had one rushing touchdown. He had two in the game on Saturday. So, look, just having that on film now, having that threat of James Blackman running the football completely changes the way this offense looks. And then, you know, kind of the shift I know you're going to talk about, you see A.J. Mayer come in, and we knew that we were going to see him some. Mm Mm-hmm especially in situations where they want to run the quarterback. But it's really important, right, early and often to put on film that he's not just running the football when he comes in there. It would bring to mind kind of shades of Chad Voidick, who knew he was going to get creamed when he came in there because he ran the football every time he came on the field. So it's good to see, you know, Mayor get in there and but not just be a running quarterback, but you know, go in the air and show that you know he's somebody you gotta respect in the pass game, which now makes it harder to account for him in the run game. Yeah, he's a factor. He was five of six through the air, seventy four rushing yards and a touchdown. And look, all in all, three hundred thirty nine rushing yards on Saturday. That's the most in a game for an A-State team since 2016. The six rushing touchdowns, the most since 2015. And look, everybody got to play for the most part, except for the punters. First time we didn't punt in a game since 2011. Yeah, when you've got two good punters, the best plan is don't use either one of them. (laughs) I'm sure Ryan Hansen and William Pristip, who are the two punters who... Both are expected to see action. It's they tough. probably would like, have liked right. to get the nerves out a little bit before they go to Columbus. That's a week. tough spot because, you know, they put in all the work too, right? And, like, you want to go play, but, like, when you don't get to, that means it's typically going pretty well. Like, what a tough spot to be in. Kind of what What do you do as a person? Like, you know, you talk me versus we here. It's, <laughs> it's better for we if me never steps on the field. Well, that's true. They took one for the team the other night. And I <laughs> By think not taking one. Everybody else in the building was, was just fine with those two punters not seeing the field. A-State with the blowout victory. They win 58-3, to now 1-0 on the season. They'll get ready to take on Ohio State at the Horseshoe coming up this Saturday. We'll talk about that game a little bit later on in the program but coming up next we got a really special guest in studio the new chancellor of arkansas state university dr todd shields joins us next when we play today we win something bigger than ribbons or trophies we win our tomorrows wherever we play wherever we fight wherever we overcome odds we're winning our way Simmons Bank is committed to supporting women athletes in the communities we serve and are proud to be an official sponsor of A-State Women's Athletics. Not just for a season, but for a winning future. Seasons are short, but fierce is forever. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. And we welcome you back into the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We are pleased to be joined in studio now by... The new chancellor at Arkansas State University, it's Dr. Todd Shields. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. And we kind of told you up front, we don't know where this thing's going to go. So let's just Sounds great. start at the beginning, because I don't know where you're from. Where Where'd you grow up at? So I was born in New Jersey, but hmm. my dad was in Vietnam. Uh, so we moved around a lot. When my dad got out of Vietnam, he worked for IBM, and we used to call that I've been moved, right? <laughs> so every two and a half years, we moved someplace else. I went to three different high schools, and where I graduated from, 
they probably look back at that yearbook and like, oh, I kind of remember that guy. Who was he? He was here for like five months, right? So that was in Cincinnati, Ohio, where I technically graduated from. There was a college day, and we, we toured Miami, Ohio, Oxford, Ohio, Miami University, and that's where I decided to go because it was far enough away from home that I thought parents couldn't jump in any time, but it was close enough to home I could get there if I wanted to, right? And didn't really want to go back out east because I was really tired of shoveling snow. Still well, had snow in Cincinnati. There's plenty of snow in oh, Ohio. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, not as much as New Jersey or Vermont or Massachusetts and that kind of thing. But uh, little did I know that maybe my dislike of shoveling has brought me more and more south, That's right? That's right. So after Miami, I moved to Lexington, Kentucky, and then graduated in 1994 with my PhD, and then took my first job at the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville, and then I was there until, what, three weeks ago now. Yeah. And so I say that, you know, I've been trying to get to Arkansas State as quickly as I can. It took me longer than I thought it would, but I got here as quick as I could. So did you understand as a kid that the move was just part of it? Did you put up much of a fight about all that? You know, movement? that's one of those things I think when you when you – you don't, I didn't know any different, right? So when ma, dad or mom would say, hey, we're moving again, I would be like, okay, let's, where are we going now? You know, so I just didn't know any better. But I, I liked it in terms of always meeting new people. You said you went to Miami of Ohio. Yes. And you got your undergrad in political science and psychology, right? Yes, sir, I did. I was actually engineering for two and a half years. And then I had to took I took a general education course in political science and psychology and thought, well, I like this a lot more than I like the tensile strength of bridges. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I liked it a lot more. So I started taking classes in those, and I didn't even realize that I'd accrued a major in both of them. Of course, my parents were like, "What do you want to do?" And I'm like, "I'm not really sure, but I think I'll stay in school." And so I did, and just kept on. I'm still here in school, right? But yeah, I didn't really have much more of a plan than that. And then you kept it going. You got your master's and your Ph.D. in political science at Kentucky. But you see this theme here, and uh, I know you've written three books. You've edited six other books. But uh, at the same time, they all have that same theme. And from what I can tell, you really have kind of gone into the psychology of a voter, That's a right? really good point. Absolutely. I mean, like why people do what they do in the political area is very interesting to me, but public opinion more generally. And then I think maybe because of the engineering background, statistics is a big part of the things that I study. So I bring that to all the work that I do as well. So you're right. If you take people's attitudes with politics or voting and then the psychology of all that, along with statistics, that's really kind of the theme through everything I've done. Well, boy, yeah. it's, you've had a buffet of stuff in that field over the last com- little while. I'm combi- yeah, combining really exciting things there, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, I, that's 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 a good observation because that's really true. That, that's the theme through everything I've written. What's yeah. interesting because I saw if you type your name in, in Google, yes, what comes up is political scientist. So how do we go from there to the educational side of things, the higher educational side of things? So that's interesting. Recent leadership class on campus, some students were asking me about that too. And I don't think that I really had a great answer for them, except to say that, you know, what I've really done is try to do the best I can at whatever's on my desk at the time. So when I was an assistant professor, I was teaching and publishing best I could. And as soon as I got tenure, the dean said, we really need you to be chair. And I was like, I don't even really know what that means. But so I did everything I could to be the best chair I could be. And then after that, I had a time when I was at the, I was an academic dean at the Clinton School for a year and a half. 
and did everything I could there while they were without an associate dean for academics. Then I went back to Fayetteville and was graduate dean and then became dean of Fulbright College and then here. But each time I've really not had a grand plan for it. Really, I'm just really focused on doing the best job I can at what I'm doing, putting people first and then trying to do a great job. People say, was this your plan? No, I didn't really have a plan except do the best I can. Well, and look, you, you kind of breeze through about 20 years there. Yeah, but right. <laughs> yeah, you, you go from getting your PhD at Kentucky in 1994 mm-hmm. to, I guess, straight to Fayetteville. Is straight, that right? Straight to Fayetteville. Yes, sir. I was assistant professor until 1999 and taught research methods classes, statistics classes in American national government and taught big sections of American national government, you know, 250 students. And, you know, when I was teaching, President Clinton was in the White House. So it was a really interesting time to be in Arkansas, you know, teaching about politics when one of our own's in the White House. And so, you know, there was a lot going on back then too, right? So there was a lot of things to talk about in class. And so that was a really good time. But then, yeah, then I moved into administration later. So what did your time over there, because it's the same state, mm-hmm. but the size of school is different. A lot of the resources are different. The part of the state is different. There's a lot different about Northwest and Northeast Arkansas. So what's your time over there do to help prepare you for coming over here in this new So, role? you know, one of the things that actually I've been, you know, I've been saying to folks is that it is true that things have changed in Northwest Arkansas quite a bit, but when I moved there, when I moved to Fayetteville in 94, you know, we were an R2 university, much like a state, and Fayetteville had probably about 70,000 people in it, right? And the university was about 13,000 students, if I remember right. And, you know, honestly, the things that we were doing then are very similar to here. And so I feel like I watched and I participated as the University of Arkansas grew and partnered with the community and did a lot of things with the Northwest Arkansas Business Council and that kind of thing, and then just saw us grow, really. And I feel like that's where I really enjoyed, honestly, where that's really, I think, where my passion is. My passion is really going to students who have great potential and maybe don't realize it and helping them realize that potential. That's, that's really where my passion is, and that's one of, the, one of the things that really brought me to Arkansas State was just the great faculty, the great staff and the students are just, they have so much potential. And some of them realize it and they're going to do great things. and Others don't realize they have that potential. And I really want to help make sure that they do. Well, another aspect where you kind of were, were prepped for this role mm-hmm. is being the dean. And at the same time, a big part of that is the fundraising aspect. It and is. Really, I, I guess before 2014, that really wasn't anything that you did. No, if somebody had told me 10 years ago, you're going to like fundraising, I would have said, number one, you're probably crazy. And two, what is fundraising? I don't know what that even means, right? But I really did come to love that. Uh, I still do. Meeting alumni and hearing how education changes people's lives and how learning how someone comes in and they get opportunities that really only education can give you. It is still really the one way to change where your station is. It really is. And hearing people's success stories and then the professors that changed their lives or a class that changed their lives or something that happened, you know, during college that really set the trajectory for the rest of their lives. Those are such inspiring stories. I mean, I just, if people want to give back because of what had happened to them, 
then I want to help that happen because I've seen how, you know, people have become really successful because opportunities that higher ed offers them. And then when they give back, they're just opening doors to other students and other faculty to create businesses and to work with community industry and that sort of thing. It's just really rewarding. It's a rewarding thing. And I would never have known that before. So you talk about this progression in higher education without even almost without even meaning to in some ways. Yeah. Every, any progression that I had at the University of Arkansas was more people saying, hey, we think you could fix this, go fix this. The only one that I've ever applied for was Arkansas State. This was the only job that I've ever said. My wife and I both said, if that's open, we're going to try for that. Why? Because, because of what I've been saying about just the what moves my heart, what gets me up in the morning, what really inspires me is taking students that I know they've got great potential, I know that they can do great things, and then helping them see that and believe it and then helping them get those internships and those jobs and those positions so that they can succeed, that's just really inspiring to me. I think I tell faculty you have one of the most noble callings around because you're devoting your life and your research to improving the community and improving students' lives everywhere. So it really is, you know, I wake up every day and I think I'm changing lives today, right? So I better show up 100% because people depend upon that. And that, that, to me, it's really motivating. So obviously there's been a a learning curve with every new position. Yes. Here, you're the dean of what typically is the largest college on a university campus. So would you make that step now to being the chancellor? I know you're still figuring this out, but to this point, kind of what's the learning curve? Oh my goodness, the learning curve. I mean, I, I was, you know, just, I was saying to Bill Smith, I was like, Bill, help me get over to this place. I know I'm doing the podcast here in a minute, but I'm pretty sure I get lost, right? I'm still finding my way around campus, I'm still learning names and faces. But I will tell you this, that if I was going to have a learning curve like that, I would want to do it here in Jonesboro. This is, has been the most welcoming community that I think I've ever heard of or seen before. I mean, the people are just incredible. So supportive, so kind, so unassuming, welcoming, just, just, just wonderful. They've been that way to me and to my wife. What was that first conversation like with Dr. Welch? So I called Dr. Welch and just said, hey, I'm, I saw this was open and I think I might apply. And he encouraged me to do it. Did you have a relationship before? So I knew Chuck Welch. He was actually, this is coincidence, he was senior class president in 94. Remember I said I got there in 94. So we overlapped a little bit. And the chancellor at that time period was a guy named Dan Farreter, who's still my mentor. And I would think President Welch would say his too. But one of the things that Dan Farreter told me was, watch that kid. He's going to do a lot, right? And I thought, he's right. Now, I didn't have him in class or anything like that. But, you know, I've watched him move around and do his great things at all these different institutions and thought, you know, he's doing a fantastic job. And he's the perfect example of somebody from Jonesboro who has a lot of things opened up because of higher ed. And it's one thing to win him over, but this was quite the search process. In fact, it was a 22-person search committee. What was that like? Well, you know, I really say I love the way Arkansas State did it, whether I got the position or not, whether the way Arkansas State did it was the right way to do it. Because, you know, sometimes these searches can be drawn out so long that it becomes difficult to get people involved and difficult to get people excited about it, that kind of thing. But the way Arkansas State did it was about a three-month process, maybe four-month process. I'd have to think about that seriously, but it was quick. 
I've thanked the people on the committee multiple times because they worked hard this summer. In fact, I'll publicly tell them thanks again because they had four candidates in, I think, within a three-week time period. You know, you're, those interviews, you starting for breakfast and you're ending dinner late and you're just in meetings after one after another. You're working hard on that. So not only did they have to receive applications, go through those, do Zoom interviews, then schedule on-campus interviews and then host all of that. They did a lot of work really fast. And honestly, I feel like that's the the right way to do it. Most places don't do it that way, but it, you're right. It was a grueling process, but it was energizing to me because everybody that I met was just really welcoming, encouraging, excited about where Jonesboro and where Arkansas State can go. My wife and I went back to the hotel for the first night, and we were both going, this is places." It is everything we thought it was going to be. I want to ask you about two things Dr. Welch said to me really in the beginning of the whole process. Do I need to plead the fifth here? and get? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I think you'll be all right. Uh, when I'm, the, the first one is he was talking about the skill set Dr. Danfoss had and just his ability to get out there and interact with students and, and the visibility. Mm-hmm. And he said, look, that was key because that's what the position called for at that time. Given what the university was facing and in some situation, that was what was called for. He said, now because because of that and the other things have the position doesn't call for it. And now it's a, maybe a different skill set that's needed. So what was your impression? What are you told sort of the, the skill set needed to come in and do this job? Well, first, I, I will say that I do love students. I mean, I'll always have that as a passion. But the involvement in the community, meeting businessmen and women and fundraising too, those are things that I've loved as well. And that's what I really feel like is maybe the next thing that I'll bring is I'm not I'm certainly not going to ignore students or faculty mm-hmm. or staff at all, but I will be more external and build those relationships with the community that I see. I see so many opportunities for people who want to be involved and corporations that want to be involved and internships with our students and then joint programs and training programs for the people that are already working in those industries. There's so many ways that we can work together. In fact, I was at recently at uh, Jonesboro Unlimited. I believe yeah. is the mm-hmm. name. And uh, we were talking about different opportunities and then just the different ways when hearing the industries talking, I was going, oh, did you know Arkansas State has this and do we have this and we have that? And they were excited and I was very excited and I'm going, you know, well, with two weeks of knowledge, I can see lots of low hanging fruit already. So give me a little bit more time. I think that we're going to we're going to have a lot of opportunities to work together. The second thing, and he and, and Dr. Watts said this, as a matter of fact, unsolicited. He said, let me just tell you. <laughs> The next chancellor of Arkansas State, as it, prior to, he said, but I can promise you the next chancellor of Arkansas State will be someone that athletics is important to. Oh, so let's talk yeah. about your view there. You kind of a, you subscribe to that front porch theory, that, you know, the athletics, kind of the front porch to the. Well, it's, the, I mean, it's the clear connection to the community. I mean, it's what most people think of when they think of higher education. You know, they think of how's the football team doing or the basketball team or volleyball mm-hmm. or baseball or and recently soccer with 250 wins, right? So, yes, it's definitely the bridge between the community and the campus. I mean, certainly there's a lot of bridges that we can build with the academic side as well. But I really like working with Jeff Purrington, and I, and I love working with Coach Jones, too. They're fantastic. In fact, I keep telling this joke. I don't know how long it's going to keep happening but you know coach jones keeps telling me you know well you've been here for two weeks now you're undefeated and you're still not fired and i keep thinking well yeah that's a good perspective (laughs) well in the fact that you and jeff purinton are kind of jumping into the deep end 
together. We, we keep calling each other every day when I go, did you know about this? Do you know who this person is? You know, we, we're kind of helping each other along. Maybe he's helping me along a lot more than I am him, honestly. But yeah, both of us are helping each other figure things out. I even called him last night, leaving, having a dinner with some alumni and and was telling him, okay, I'm, I'm heading back and I'm pretty sure I'm going the right way because I'm staying in the same apartment he is. But he, he did okay. before he bought the home, right? So I'm in the same apartment. And so... I mean, I just gave him a call to say, I'm going the right way, right? How was your day? No, yeah, we're, he's, he's wonderful. I love working with him. All right. I've got to ask this. Yeah, sure. And I know you're going to handle it swimmingly. <laughs> you got me nervous But now. because we're talking about sports, we're talking right. about sports fans, and we know what fans is short for, there can be a sliver of the fan base that even as a chancellor hire comes out, they're going to go right to where you spent the last 20-plus years oh, in I your see career. Oh, I what saying. Um, what would you say to those people? I would say wolves up is what I'd say. <laughs> I, I, that's, I would, I would that's say the it perfect l- response. loud and, you know, no question at all. I mean, uh, in fact, you know, we went down to Dallas-Fort Worth last week to watch the club team from Carretero play um, some football. And some people were asking me there, too, you know, who do you support? And I'm like, what are you talking about? There's only one team. Right. And they're like, all right. I like that. But yeah, that's that's true. I mean, I'm a I'm a Red Wolf fan completely. Yeah, oh, I just get another one that yeah. kind of along those same lines. And you talk about fundraising and mm-hmm. fundraising was very important to you when you were dean at your previous stop. Mm-hmm. Will you be reaching out to some of those businesses that oh, absolutely. industries that that may be oh, a big help to you in northwest arkansas absolutely there's no question i mean i think that not only alumni from here but then you know people who have interest in what arkansas state's doing in research areas and athletics and what they're doing in the delta what we're doing with whole health and the medical school i mean yes absolutely we will be talking to people all across the state, the region, wherever alumni or anybody interested will be. We'll be talking to them for sure. How long you've got the timer? How long are we into this thing, Stoltz, right now? We're just over 20 minutes. Are we ready to get yeah, to the good stuff look, now? Yeah, it oh, hasn't good stuff even, now. Okay. No, I was saying, when's the last <laughs> time you talked to somebody for 20 minutes without the conversation having yet shifted to the fact that you did a, a stint as Miss America's dad? Oh, <laughs> it usually goes there. <laughs> I used to have a name tag that, you know, said Todd Shields and my title and everything. And then as a joke, my my colleagues replaced it with Savvy's dad, which, you know, was really, really more appropriate. Right. And that that I'm very proud of her for what she's accomplished and what she's done. And she was actually the one that told me when she was Miss America, she came to Jonesboro, I think five times. Maybe you don't quote yeah. me on that, but I think several times that she was back and she was the one that was saying, Dad, they're the nicest people you're ever going to meet ever of all the places that she went. She was like, this is the nicest place. And she was right. And I keep saying, okay, when are you coming back? And so um, I'm going to get her back here soon. But, yes, I sure did. Your daughter, Savvy, was Miss America mm-hmm. 2017. Uh, obviously, uh, there's got to be some sort of competitive level with you to go through all these pageants that, that Savvy was part of over the years. And I bring this up because right. you can relate with Tommy Raffo, our baseball coach. Okay. and. He is the father of a former Miss Arkansas. Oh, we'll have to talk about that. His daughter okay, Claudia yeah. uh-huh. won that title just a few years ago. Oh, okay. a couple of I years know, a- yeah, after Savvy yes, did. I do know her. Yep. Yes, and absolutely. Yes. I remember just how uh-huh. into yeah. everything he was with the pageants because 
Yeah, obviously she's competing. He wants to know all about it. Did, I, did you get into the pageants? So I will have to say like I was that? not a typical pageant dad. <laughs> you know, Savvy was doing, she did dance since she was about four. And I was very much into that. I did a lot of dance recitals. You know, I did a whole lot of those, you know, all day long with screaming kids everywhere. And I was the dad screaming the loudest for her when she was dancing. And I, I really loved all that. I really wasn't into the pageants. And in some ways, Savvy is atypical in the sense that I think she's done five or six pageants total. Um, she hasn't done a lot. Yeah. And then, and one of them was just Miss America. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then she had gone from... <laughs> Yes, yeah. Um, five or six. And she she had, only did five or six total. And, total, and that, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I'd have to think about that. But, you know, she won Arkansas Teen when she was 13. And then she did had a big gap. And then she did Collegiate America when she was a freshman and did that. And then I thought we were done. Now, she had qualifiers for both of those. So there were four there. And then she had a qualifier for Miss Arkansas. Then she did Miss Arkansas, then Miss America. So what's that, six or seven, I guess? So not many before not, she No, not many, and there were big gaps between them. And so I kept thinking, okay, we're done, right? We're back to dance, <laughs> right? But we weren't. We, she kept coming back. I remember the day she came in and said, you know, Dad, I'm 21 now, and I'm going to go after Miss America. And I'm like, what? What are you doing? I really? I thought you were done with that. And she had that in her, and she's a very determined person. When she sets her mind to something, she goes after it, which I definitely – encouraged her to do that and said, you can always be whatever you want to be. Don't listen to people. And she took that to heart and went after that with all she had. Oh, so two parts here. What did you learn and what did you watch her go through? Not in the process, literally in the year of being Miss America. So in the year of being Miss America, again, I'm an atypical pageant dad. They were used to parents that wanted to go with their daughter everywhere or that kind of thing. And I was going, no, I'd don't really. I've got a big job yeah. and, you know, I'll text her and FaceTime her, but I'm not going to go anywhere. Now, there were a couple of things like the, you know, the country music awards or something that I was maybe thought maybe I should have gone to that. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but I didn't really go there. Now, she did get invited back to Arkansas quite a bit. So I got to see her when she came back. But I, I really didn't participate that much. And I did miss her a lot that year. I did learn how she had a lot more grit in her than I even gave her credit for because she had days where they were, she was doing a morning show at five in the morning in LA. Then they'd fly her to Iowa and she'd do an onion convention with the 4-H club or a, you know, a state fair. Then they'd fly her to New York and she'd get all dolled up and do a fashion show there. And then there'd be a meet and greet after that and then go to bed and fly someplace the next day. And so she had that kind of a jet set year. She was able to keep that up for over a year, and uh, I was really proud of her for that. Tell us about the rest of your family, your wife, Karen, sure. your son, Dane. So uh, my son, is he's a finance major, graduated and took a job with InBev. They own Budweiser, yep. um, Anheuser-Busch. Go Cardinals. Yeah, and that's right. Now, he was doing um, – he's been living in Atlanta and then recently got promoted to – what they call their high end, so Stella and Ultra and a couple of others. And his he's on a team of 30 that really watch where sales are going up and down and figuring out why they're going up or where they're going down and should we do a promotion, that kind of thing. And they're all remote. So some of them live out of the country. Some of them live in a different city every month. I mean, 
some of them are 25, so they can just move around. He was paying pretty high rent in Atlanta, so he's moved back to Fayetteville and just renting there since a lot of his friends are in that area. But he's really working remotely, which baffles me. I'm like, have you met your boss face to face? And he kind of looks at me funny, like, why would I want to do that? You know, but yeah, yeah, it's a different generation. They're different work methods and that kind of thing. Which it's it's interesting because I know a lot of that, I mean, that ramped up many notches during the it pandemic did. It really did so we circle this thing back around to like to higher education sure obviously the online stuff was big anyway it jumped up but now kind of how, how do you make sure it doesn't go too far i mean now yeah. how do we kind of right. make sure that we still get right. folks on college campuses yep well i think that you're going to have to just meet the need right that you know that there's going to there are going to be students that like we were talking about that have that potential that may not realize that they do that they'll need the support systems that an on-campus university would provide uh, there's going to be a lot of those. Then there are also more and more people who are maybe taking care of an ailing adult or or a child or a spouse or something, or they're working full time, but they want to better their lives. And so they're not going to be able to move to a campus or live in a dorm or join a fraternity or a sorority, uh, you know, take 15 hours a semester. They're going to be able to take one or two. And then online, they're able to do it when their kid goes to bed or when they get a chance to do it. So you know, one of the things that COVID did teach us was that I still think there's nothing to substitute for that face-to-face and that interaction and that relationship with a professor, but there's a big need for people who can't get that, and we need to we need to make sure we're providing that for people, too. Now, I want to apologize because I asked that question kind of because it bridged from what sure. you were talking about with Dane, and so I yeah. want to certainly, for you and me both, give you yeah. a chance to back tra- now go back and talk about Karen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm so Sorry. Boy, leave out my wife. That's That's, I'll take the heat. I'll take the heat for <laughs> you. You, also, you saved them. Yeah, no, I, no, I, I take the other way. I'm, I'm taking the heat because I, I changed the subject. Well, I will tell you, you know, the, the, the funny story about my wife, um, her, her dad worked for Procter & Gamble and their headquarters were in Cincinnati. So she moved to Cincinnati about the same time I moved to Cincinnati and we both decided to go to Miami, Ohio. I was with my freshman year roommate and we went to this, you know, new student orientation or something like that, right? And I saw Karen and I said, oh my God, I'm, I think I'm in love. I'm going to marry her. <laughs> now, my roommate looked at me and said, man, you got no prayer. You're sure she's way out of your league, which she is, right? And I think that I'm a, I'm a testimony to persistence, right? And there's a fine line between persistence and stalking. And I did that, that really well for four <laughs> years. And now I asked her out on several dates and she said no, but then, you know, I guess I wore her down because senior year she said yes. And then, you know, we got along great. And then a year later we got married and we've been married since uh, 1991. Now I know, by the way, he also gave us a little insight as to why he likes fundraising. He is not scared of the ass. <laughs> I am not. That's right. That's right. If you don't say no, that doesn't mean I won't be back. (laughs) Persistence is key. Persistence, right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Mm -hmm. this has been a lot of fun. Just kind of getting to hang out with you a little bit, get to know you a little bit better. I'll kind of leave this open as we finish things up here. Just what else do you want everybody listening to kind of know about you and what you hope to accomplish here at A-State? Well, first, just how excited Karen and I are to be here and just excited to meet as many people as we possibly can. And what I'd love to accomplish is just making sure that the community and the university are really working together and everybody's moving in the same direction because there's so much potential in this area, this region. I'm honored and privileged to be a part of that. That's Dr. Todd Shields, new chancellor at Arkansas State. 
State University joining us here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We've got more to come right after this. The Simmons Bank Card Alerts app lets you get more from your Simmons debit and credit cards. Set transaction alerts to be notified of certain card activity and choose how you receive each alert. You can suspend your card, set a spend limit, or decline specific transaction types. You can even manage multiple cards. So get more control, more convenience, and more peace of mind with your Simmons Bank debit and credit cards. Learn more at SimmonsBank.com forward slash debit card. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. Back on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Man, just a great visit with our new chancellor, Dr. Todd Shields. Appreciate him coming in and hanging out a little bit. The perspective for him was unique in the fact that it was his first game at Centennial Bank Stadium the other night, but it was also the first game for you from the marketing side. So, well, yeah, seeing a, a long time, seeing well, yeah, <laughs> kind of what was your view the other night? So, I really, by and large, was sort of an observer. You know, Sarah Munoz had the position I'm in now. And, you know, a lot, most people know if you're connected with the local high school sports scene, her husband's a high school coach who got a job in Northwest Arkansas, which is where he's from. So their family moved, and that's sort of what opened everything up in the first place. She loved this job. And so she's been kind enough to sort of still do it, do some stuff remote, help ease in this transition, and even come over Saturday and still run the game from a production standpoint, basically give me the, the luxury of just sitting and, and watching it happen one time and, and taking notes and just kind of seeing everything happen once instead of just having to jump in and say, here, figure it out. Yeah. So that was very welcome and very appreciated. Uh, you know, I did climb in there, I think, for the last maybe three timeouts of the fourth quarter. Got there and actually got on the headset a little bit, but – got a sense for what was happening but there's a lot happening and you know amy foster's the, the cfo for uh, athletics and a senior associate ad she asked me it was over kind of how was this perspective different than what you're used to and i said well it's the first time because even when i worked in marketing you know the la- the last time on game day i was still involved with the broadcast so it's the first time that like what i was doing everything wasn't about the game in yeah. terms of, you know, he's not reacting to or responded to what happened with the game. You are to a certain extent, but, I mean, you're seeing the game and you know what's happening, and you, you, but you're also kind of plugging all these gaps and seeing all this stuff. So it is a different perspective. You know, it, it may not be the best setup for Coach Jones and his staff, but I'm personally, kind of selfishly, a three-game road trip hits me really well <laughs> to uh, to have now, you know, four weeks between home games. To yeah. Kind of, you know, to get your feet back under you, get make some tweaks and – improvements and because at the end of the day like right it's just about trying to make sure people have fun at the game because there's a lot of competition for their time and money and and uh, so we want to do everything we can to make sure they're having fun at the game so it it was a unique perspective one thing Jeff Purinton does that was cool is that he gathered everybody up he was to have a meeting on the field after the game so you know 20 25 minutes of the game's over we're all standing in a circle in the end zone just going all right what notes everybody have and it's development people and game ops people and you know, kind wow. of across okay. that we all stood around on the field after the game just kind of swapping notes and who heard what and what feedback to get about this i mean across all kinds of areas and the funniest one not to, one of the more interesting ones is that there is just about a 50 50 split among people who will come up to someone and on the staff or in some case tweet or whatever and say you get an even number of the music is too loud 
and I can't hear the music. <laughs> so, so, so like you're you, never going to make. So like, yeah, I mean, happy. I mean, I got both, right? I mean, I mean, I'm, I, you literally get about the same amount of both, and I don't know exactly what all that's about. If it's what way the speakers are angled or pointed or what happens, yeah. but you get an equal number of people saying, "Oh man, the stuff coming out of the speakers way too loud," and people going, "I couldn't hear what was coming through the video board." So I'm not sure what you do with that, by the way. I'm not yeah, sure. I'm good not luck sure. on solving that. I'm not sure what adjustment you make to that when you've got an equal number of both. Well, you got to see it for the first time. And again, you'll be running the game coming up October 1st. That'll be the first one. James yeah. Madison comes in. Yeah. How'd they look this weekend? They looked really good. <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of thought... Well, Man, good. this league is good. I thought James Madison, you know... I mean, look, and you know what they've done. You know they're going to be good. But I thought I thought even if they stayed FCS, the word was they might be a little bit down this year with some of the guys that they had cycled through and were leaving the program. Well, they so turned, much for that. Yeah, they turned middle every way but loose. Meanwhile, the football team will shift their focus now to one of the premier programs in the entire country, the Ohio State Buckeyes. And this is uh, – Following up their game against Notre Dame this past Saturday, they got off to a little bit of a slow start, but really turned it on in the second half and beat the Fighting Irish 21-10. to 10. So this is an early kick, which is, I think, probably a good thing. Kickoff at 11 a.m. coming up Saturday in Columbus. But look, there's always that game on the schedule, that big Power 5 game, and you know, this happens to be one of those spots that A-State has never been before. Yeah, and it's, listen, I think relative to right what it's going to be like in the horseshoe, I think Arkansas State is going to have a pretty decent number of people there when you look at Rob Harley and all the people he knows. But even, you know, Coach Jones being, you know, a State of Michigan guy and all the yeah. people he knows can come from there. And, you know, Coach Lime Grover is you know, up to Michigan ties too. So, plus, you know, whatever player guests come. And I know a lot of fans are wanting to make that trip. So, I mean, I think there'll be a decent little pocket of Arkansas State people at the Horseshoe Saturday. That game will be televised on the Big Ten Network Saturday. Our coverage here or on the EAB Red Wolves Sports Network from Learfield begins at 9 a.m. Meanwhile, the soccer team wrapping up non-conference play this week. they got a couple of more home games. They'll play Thursday at 3 against Missouri State, and then Sunday at noon against Western Kentucky, and then they go into Sunbelt play after that. I'm really happy to see Arkansas State and Western Kentucky scheduling anything yeah that's cool it, it doesn't make any sense that that hasn't happened more in more sports but it's not that uh, that far of a trip and it, it hadn't been out of lack of effort in some sports either in terms of i can tell you i mean and i know it goes back even a couple of administrations ago probably but western kentucky has been contacted about playing several sports at arkansas state for a reason just hadn't happened much so good for the soccer team getting the hilltoppers on the schedule Brian Gerwig and the volleyball team, meanwhile, off to a really nice start. They won all three matches. They played at the Skyhawk Invitational in Martin over the weekend. Yeah, including you wrapping it up, beating the host team uh, in four sets on Saturday. So, good run for those guys. They're now, what, 5-1 and one and yeah. won four straight. Best start since 2015. They'll go to Ball State this weekend and try to make uh, Ball State, at least UT Martin had the good sense to play A-State last. Ball State wants the Red Wolves first. So uh, that'll be 9 o'clock Friday morning 
And then Friday afternoon, they'll play Green Bay, and then they'll close it out at noon Saturday. Speaking of noon Saturday, they'll they'll play at noon Saturday against Alabama. Exactly where you'd expect A-State and Alabama to meet in Muncie, Indiana. <laughs> All right, so that pretty much wraps it up for us. You got anything you need to get off your chest here? No. Uh, I'm going to use this space the next two or three weeks to just uh, – Start encouraging people now to make their plans to be here the weekend of homecoming. It, I mean, look, stuff got so screwed up during COVID, right? It did. And then you sort of you compound that by having two seasons of attendance screwed up by COVID, and at the same time, you know, being two seasons, you don't have winning records, right? And and that's that deals you two tough blows, right? So it's we're gonna slowly just try to keep getting people back in the habit of getting in the vault and man homecoming when you go a month between home games that sure sure seems like a good place to start so it's not a rant as much as a plea just start looking at your calendar right now and making your plans let's see what it's like one more time let's remind ourselves what it's like when that place is full and it's a great atmosphere for the conference home opener and homecoming on top of that october 1st thanks again to dr todd shields for joining us on this edition of the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We hope you join us once again next week when we recap the Ohio State game. Have a great week, everybody.